I'm Laura Wenis, and this is Fifth and Mission. That's tenant organizers in Berkeley last week. They were protesting a party, a happy hour at a pub hosted by a group of property owners who were celebrating the end of the eviction moratorium. Berkeley side reporter Supriya Yelimeli was there. The Berkeley Property Owners Association who organized it told me that what they were celebrating, what they were getting a piece of their control back. Soon after news came out about this landlord celebration, tenant advocates organized a protest. It was a pretty immediate mobilization of around 100 people. They were chanting and protesting, and when landlords were entering the venue, folks were either engaging with each other, so landlords would talk to the protesters and they would have kind of a conversation. But some folks were saying, like, don't go to this specific event. Going to a celebration of the end of the eviction moratorium is different than just being a landlord in Berkeley. The situation got progressively more tense. Protesters were shouting at landlords as they arrived, telling them to get a job and calling them parasites. Supriya spoke to some landlords and protesters, then left. About 20 minutes later, things went off the rails. The protesters went into the pub and surrounded the landlords inside, chanting. And then violence broke out. From what I saw in the videos, pretty quickly people started getting into each other's faces. This is both the protesters and the landlords. And then it just kind of devolved. It's really hard to tell who started what, but... People were throwing punches. Folks were getting slapped. I later found out that one of the protesters, they went to the ER after and um, had a broken wrist. So it was just chaos, really. The pandemic has strained relationships between tenants and landlords who are often neighbors or at least living in the same communities. Now, as eviction bans around the Bay Area expire and with application periods for rent relief closed, a tsunami of evictions is flooding into court. Today, I'm talking with two reporters who have been in the thick of these confrontations and who both cover housing and homelessness in the East Bay. Supriya Yelimeli, the Berkeley side reporter who was at the property owner's party, and Natalie Ornstein, whose recent series in the Oakland side chronicles an overwhelmed eviction court. Supriya and Natalie, thanks for talking with me today. I want to start by asking about the fallout of more than three years of pandemic uncertainty. For some people, that's been three years of sporadically or permanently lost income, either because they've lost their jobs or because one or more of their tenants have stopped paying rent. That has made relationships extremely tense between renters and property owners. Do you think this was a case of that tension just boiling over? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think there's a lot of chances or forums besides city council meetings and supervisors meetings where we see tenants and property owners kind of having this direct face-to-face conversation or argument about all the stresses that happened during the pandemic. This was really just a very raw face-to-face interaction between two groups that don't really understand each other and are also facing very serious financial pressures. Yeah. Well, one place where those two groups do come face to face is in court when an eviction is filed. And Natalie, Oakland's eviction moratorium has already lifted. And just as advocates predicted, that opened the floodgates to hundreds of eviction suits. I think thousands, actually. 
You've spent many hours in eviction court, and things have gotten heated there, too. What have you observed in these interactions between landlords, tenants, and court staff? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as Supriya said, I think that this party that she covered was a rare venue where the tensions that are palpable in these other forums actually reached a boiling point, even in court, where two sides are directly facing each other. It's really procedural, and you can sense the level of emotion and desperation for sure. But it's this odd mix of, yeah, intense feeling with kind of bureaucracy. And that was something pretty uh, surreal to observe. As you said, things have kind of exploded on the legal level since these eviction moratoriums have begun to expire. The first ban lifted at the county level at the end of April, and we just saw an immediate spike in eviction lawsuits before the moratorium. It was typical to see 300, 400 after the moratorium expired at the county level, there were 550 cases. In June, that number reached 800. And mind you, this was still before Berkeley, San Leandro lifted their policies, before Oakland lifted its policy. And Oakland's the most populous city in the county. Um, it's a majority renter. So we're still expecting to see continued spikes. It's also chaos in court. We're, we're seeing a lot of this play out there. What's it like for both of you to try and talk with both sides of this open, angry conflict where people are yelling at each other? And I guess in the case of this party, they weren't yet coming to blows, but it definitely ended up that way. How do you navigate that? Yeah, I mean, I think when emotions are this high, everyone's eager to be heard and, and tell their story. And so it's... Mm. It's easy to find people that want to talk about their experiences. Yeah, and I, when you see people coming to physical blows with each other and, and seeing such an emotional argument play out in front of you, it, it just like begs the question, like, what can be done to solve this? And it does seem like there's a threat of like, why wasn't there more financial support from the federal level? Why wasn't there a safety net in the first place where these like, huge inequities that have been building for years have to play out in these interpersonal situations. Like there's clearly a major failing happening that one group of tenant advocates and two landlords aren't going to be able to fix between themselves. For some people, the end of the eviction moratorium meant they were expecting to be kicked out basically at any moment. What did the ends of these moratoriums mean for tenants in Oakland and Berkeley who are facing the very real possibility of having to go to court or having to leave? Yeah, there's a lot at stake here. Already, it's everyone knows how expensive it is to live in the Bay Area before the pandemic. Already, countless households were living paycheck to paycheck, struggling to pay rent, introduce this massive crisis and this rising unemployment at a rate we've never seen before, it can take a long time to bounce back from months, in many cases, of a loss of income. And so they're facing the loss of their home, which is 
massive upheaval for some, in some cases, it's kids having to switch schools. In some cases, it's detachment from a community or a neighborhood you've lived in for years. There's plenty of research that shows that evictions are correlated with poor health outcomes. And then beyond the individual level on a societal scale, it's the risk of mass displacement, which we've already witnessed for years uh, in the East Bay, an increase in our already extremely high uh, homelessness population. So there's a lot hinging on these individual eviction decisions. And in Alameda County and in Berkeley, Oakland, I you can't be evicted for past due rent, but in May, at least in Berkeley, property owners could start going to small claims court to file for what was owed. And just thinking about the debt and that we don't have an exact idea of how much it is, people may still have to have that debt on the record, basically. And this is debt that people are going to have to figure out how to pay or they're going to have to file for bankruptcy. And it's just layers of financial disaster that they they can't really figure out. So in addition to to losing your home and, and like Natalie was talking about the increasing homelessness that we've seen, I, I think there's just a large amount of stress and, and that you know, it's connected to unemployment and those types of things. But yeah, I think people are just grappling with a lot of different types of stressors. Totally. And just to put a finer point on that, tenant advocates have long held that the ends of these moratoriums will come with increased homelessness. Have we seen that anywhere? Yeah. The chair of the Berkeley Rent Board was just pointing to Los Angeles, which ended its moratorium much earlier than Alameda County. And They've seen homelessness increase. I think some of this data is still a little bit rough, just like a lot of data around homelessness, because much of it relies on, you know, on the ground street counts. So I think we need to have a little bit of a wider lens to it to really understand what's happening. But the data has always shown that places with the most expensive housing markets are connected to the most homelessness and and California has one of the most acute problems when it comes to that. That's not to say landlords haven't been dealing with any fallout of the pandemic. We'll discuss the impacts on property owners and what to expect next as a wave of eviction cases hits the courts after a break. You're listening to Fifth Admission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Natalie and Supriya, we've been talking about how the end of the eviction moratoriums has been affecting tenants, but landlords have also struggled during the pandemic, especially smaller property owners who may not have multiple tenants or who depend on rental income to secure their own housing. For others, it is their business, and even if it's not their home at stake, this has been a major blow to their incomes. What are you hearing from landlords about how moratoriums have affected them? Yeah, I think the term landlord applies to a pretty wide range of people. I spoke to many truly small-scale property owners, someone who, say, grew up in West Oakland. When their parents died, they inherited the duplex that they have lived in their whole life. It's in 
really poor condition. They rent out the other unit in the property to pay for repairs, to afford property taxes, to stay afloat. That tenant stops paying rent for a few months or even longer. That can really destabilize a small landlord in a position like that. And having sat through many court hearings, it's certainly the case that many smaller landlords are owed a lot of money and that debt put them in a precarious position. On the other hand, many landlords own investment companies and have huge portfolios of units and their business inherently is a gamble. And that gamble worked out for a lot of years and then suffered some setbacks during the pandemic, but it's not going to upend their business in the long run. And so I think it can be a disservice for policies, for rhetoric to lump all of those types of property owners into one bucket because the impacts and the impacts for tenants too uh, were really disparate. Yeah. And let's talk real quick about rent relief. California has poured billions of dollars into rent relief. Berkeley dispersed millions. Oakland, I think, had more than 44 millions in rent relief money. But from the beginning, these programs have been pretty overburdened. The need is just huge. How have these programs and the rent relief money that's available stacked up compared to the need and the amount of rent debt? Which I think, Natalie, you were saying it's not even clear how much it actually is. Right. It's really hard to get a handle on that. Inherently, that would be a self-reported figure and would have to capture all of the people who were impacted somehow. So yeah, the data is unclear at this point. And Mm -hmm. local cities doled out millions and millions of dollars. The state doled out billions of dollars in rental assistance. And for many households, that did make an impact. But there were serious shortcomings, uh, both in terms of the literal amount of money given didn't match the need, as you said. And then there were a lot of hiccups with the rollout in terms of delays of getting those applications processed or certain eligibility requirements that left out some folks. I think it's also interesting because Natalie and I both cover homelessness to talk about the rent relief in tandem with all the emergency programs that popped up to get people who are homeless living on the street inside into hotels. And some of those programs were temporary. And now I think a lot of jurisdictions are realizing that they need to be permanent, like Project Room Key and Home Key, for example. And I think that could be one interesting application for rent relief. I think it definitely demonstrates the need, like we saw with stimulus checks, but it kind of just needs to keep going if our rental markets and our cost of living aren't coming down. Let's look at the future a little bit here. Natalie, you have been reporting on eviction court. And one thing that's clear is that the eviction court is overwhelmed. This has just been a huge flood. You did a profile of the judge who's responsible for tackling this huge flood of eviction cases. How is a court backlog of this size going to affect the tenants and landlords who are trying to settle these issues through legal proceedings? Yeah, it's not helping. There's, as you said, one judge handling all eviction cases in the county. In addition to the sheer number, there's these brand new legal questions coming up 
when you roll back all of these very similar but distinct moratoriums, when you bring back cases that were paused in early 2020, how is the court supposed to handle that? So there's a lot on their plates. And both landlords and tenants are unhappy with the situation. For tenants, it means that they feel like their cases aren't getting the attention and care that they deserve. And a paperwork error could result in a an eviction that wasn't supposed to happen, for example. And on the landlord side, they feel like they're finally getting their day in court after three years, but their day might come three months from now because of this huge backlog. What other effects should we be on the lookout for long term as these moratoriums end, as the rent debt payments run out, and as landlords file evictions? I think throughout the pandemic, kind of like we've seen in other sectors, there has been a really strong push toward tenant unions and not just for rent cost related issues, but in Berkeley, at least the the protest at the landlord party was the second tenant related protest of the week. Just that weekend, we had a protest at the Harriet Tubman Terrace for seniors who were advocating for better living conditions. We've seen organizing about how to make properties community owned with different types of legislation and just about kind of equalizing this market. And I think that's been really interesting to follow too, because these are movements that are going to keep going and they don't necessarily just respond to one emergency situation. I think also there's a, a question about what would we do if if a situation like the pandemic arose again in the future? There's currently lawsuits that will determine whether cities can put in place eviction moratoriums again in the future. I think there's also sort of a takeaway here that's these were extraordinary measures passed during a moment of of utter crisis where countless households were facing homelessness and displacement during the absolute most dangerous time for those things to happen. And major shortcomings in the safety net policies and the communication education around these bans definitely impacted the difficult ways they rolled out. But I also think there's a way of thinking of this that an emergency policy like this, a major shift in power, I think inevitably will result in some tension and difficult discussions and impacts regardless. Supriya and Natalie, thank you so much for talking with me. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Laura. Natalie Ornstein is an Oakland side reporter and Supriya Yelimeli works for Berkeley side, both of them covering housing and homelessness. Read their work at oaklandside.org and berkeleyside.org. Thanks to Sarah Feldberg for editing this episode, Gary Baca for mixing the audio, and to you for listening. <laughs>